Welcome to Catholics Across the Isle, the podcast of the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops, offering commentary on public policy and civic life. This is Michael Sheedy, Executive Director of the Conference. It's Michael Sheedy. I'm the Executive Director of the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Catholics Across the Isle. I'm very pleased to be joined by Christy Arnold today, our Associate for Social Concerns, Respect Life. And we're here today to discuss immigration in a general sort of principled, broad way, but also specifically uh, looking at the situation here in Florida and particularly in the wake of recently passed legislation. Uh, so most of our listeners are probably aware that we have a crisis facing our country along the southern border, particularly. It's getting a lot of attention by people running the you know, Republican presidential primary. It's in the news. Um, migration is happening at incredible rates across the globe right now. So uh, there's a lot of awareness of uh, the problems of migrants. And there are some challenges in terms of responding to that well. But um, just to get things started, Christy, why don't we talk a little bit more about uh, the church and how we've been approaching immigration generally in a, in a really just principled, you know, scripture-based way? Yeah, so the Catholic Church um, actually has a very long-standing tradition of welcoming immigrants into various communities and nations, and that comes from our call um, in Scripture from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 35, that says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. There is a definite scriptural basis and history of the Catholic Church for being active in welcoming immigrants um, in the U.S. specifically and for promoting their integration into society. No, I mean, we've had popes, you know, highlighting for people the fact that Jesus, Mary and Joseph were themselves refugees who had to flee into Egypt for safety. You know, there's there's just so much to it that way that undergirds what we think and how we respond. Um, now, I would say that there are some mis- mischaracterizations sometimes of how the church approaches immigration, and, and there, are, there are a lot of principles that will, you know, that we would uphold in seeking reform for immigration. But um, why don't we say a little bit more about just, for instance, the question of open borders? So the church um, teaches that sovereign nations have the right to uphold and control their borders. But the church also teaches that this right of the nation is limited because it has to be balanced with protecting migrants' dignity and human rights, welcoming migrants with charity, and then with not placing risk to migrants' lives. Um, So generally, the church does not support illegal immigration and believes that immigrants should come to the U.S. lawfully. However, the church recognizes that the current system that we have here in the U.S. is uh, woefully inadequate. Um, And so the church advocates for comprehensive immigration reform that could seek to remedy the broken system. Yeah, I mean, just images from the southern border make it clear that we're having those challenges. So, Christy, you know, what we do want to seek greater reform, more comprehensive, multi-pronged reform to our immigration system. Probably good to say a bit about what that could look like and maybe what it would not look like. Comprehensive immigration reform um, would definitely not look like an enforcement-only policy 
such as only building a border wall or only increasing Customs and Border Patrol agents at the border. Instead, something that's comprehensive would definitely include enforcement, but those enforcement measures would be humane and proportional. And then the reform also needs to respond to the demand for labor in our country, for family reunification needs, and then also just the respect for the humanity of the immigrants. Um, And so something that's comprehensive should include a path to lawful status um, that would be for undocumented people who are already here. That should be created for them. Um, It should also be made quicker and easier to receive um, family reunification visas as well as employment visas because it's right now very time consuming to get those. And there's just not enough of them right now being received. And also something that that's comprehensive would actually suggest the root causes of migration from the sending countries. So people are fleeing their countries of origin largely due to the lack of sustainable economic development there. So something that's comprehensive would need to address that as well. Mm-hmm. Now, Christy, we here at the FCCB, we work at the state level. We have counterparts at the federal level. When it comes to immigration policy, you know, the folks with responsibility for immigration policy are at the federal level. Um, and so we're talking also about state legislation and state policies. Um, maybe good to highlight just some of what we have to offer really at the, at the state level in terms of approaching immigration policy debates. Right. So our our approach at the state level is that we believe any state or piecemeal approach to the issue is actually not helpful and can actually be harmful to migrant communities because the regulation of immigration is a federal responsibility. So we, along with the USCCB, call for comprehensive immigration reform at the federal level because immigration law is a purview of the federal government. So when there are harmful immigration policies proposed at the state, we um, we oppose those. Um, we have also supported in the past some state policies that could protect immigrants who are already here in Florida, which would include something like uh, protecting against fraud from people who try to fool immigrants and pretend they're immigration attorneys or some a state policy that could allow undocumented individuals to receive driver's licenses. Um, things like that. But generally, we oppose um, immigration policies that are done at the state level. Mm-hmm. The Catholic Church is very involved in in serving migrants, particularly even you know amidst the current crisis at the southern border. I mean, it's important to recognize that they that the church is collaborating with local, state, and federal governments, and even you know the United Nations sometimes with respect to immigration policy. But at the southern border, obviously, other other spheres of government, but um, it's probably good just for listeners to highlight the things that are happening there, um, you know, in this kind of collaboration to serve these populations. Right. So there's, there are, as you said, a lot of Catholic organizations that do partner with state, local, and federal governments to assist migrants at the southern border and elsewhere throughout the country. So closer to the border, that would include providing meals and clothing, um, medical attention, and then temporary shelter as well for newly arrived individuals. Um, And then elsewhere throughout the country, there's provision of temporary shelter for unaccompanied minors. Other Catholic organizations also provide legal services for certain individuals. They help resettle refugees by providing them resettlement services. And they provide assistance to human trafficking victims who aren't U.S. citizens. 
And so a lot of these Catholic groups are doing this um, because of Catholic teaching, which states that um, helping migrants in this way makes God's love visible to them. And it affirms their their dignity as as people who are trying to you know receive care. And the Catholic groups that are doing this are also just trying to show Christ's love to these people, encourage them to see it as a sign of Christ's love and a way of giving them hope. Right. I think it's important for people to know too that you know, particularly with unaccompanied children, these are kids who have been apprehended at the border, and other folks who have been you know, processed by the federal government who are making asylum claims. It's a place for oftentimes people to get a, a, a good meal after a long journey to, you know, wash their clothes, get a shower, um, and then maybe get some help getting pointed in the right direction so that they, they're in the right place for their court hearings down the road. So, you know, they're working not at odds with our, with our federal government or our other, other levels of government, but you know, are collaborating to care for folks in a way that that aligns with with the gospel and our and our calling to serve them. So it's really important for people to know that the truth about what's happening there because it gets mischaracterized, unfortunately. Um, you know, we're talking about the southern border. We're talking a little bit about federal reform. Um, it's probably good now, maybe just to pivot to um, the state here, and uh, particularly uh, Senate Bill seventeen eighteen, which was just enacted. Why don't you just highlight uh, just the key provisions of that law? Um, right. So Senate Bill 1718 just went into effect on July 1st. Um, it's a pretty broad law that um, seeks to discourage or dissuade immigrants from coming to Florida. It has a lot of different provisions that do a variety of different things. Um, so, for example, it validates out-of-state driver's licenses, Um some right. other states give undocumented people driver's licenses. And so this law would invalidate those in Florida. It prohibits public funding for community ID programs, which are programs throughout the state that help immigrants um, have IDs in, in the place of a driver's license. And so this law prohibits funding for that. It also requires hospitals that accept Medicaid to ask about a patient's immigration status on patient admission or registration forms. Further, it expands the use of E-Verify for private employers that have 25 or more employees. And then finally, a really important provision is that it prohibits transporting certain immigrants into the state and constitutes that as human smuggling. So maybe picking up on that last point first, uh, Christy, who could be violating this new law against human human smuggling by bringing people into Florida? So the law states that drivers who are transporting an individual who they know or reasonably should know was was never inspected or admitted by the federal government and who entered the U.S. unlawfully, those drivers are at risk of a third-degree felony charge. Um, the law also makes it a second-degree felony to transport minors or groups of five or more people in a single event who entered unlawfully and were never inspected and admitted. Um, the law generally just increased penalties for bringing certain people that I had just mentioned in into the state of Florida. Yeah. You know, it's funny, you know, when we talk to folks involved in serving migrant populations, they observe to us that um, most everybody coming across the border now has been inspected and admitted. And so there are not a lot of new arrivals who are going to be affected by this, I think. But perhaps inadvertently or unintentionally uh, puts people at risk who came here 
without being processed. Many, in cases, many, many years ago, perhaps they've married, raised families who are, have children who are citizens, making them, I guess, mixed status families. Um, you know, it's probably worth reflecting on who might really be affected. Right. So this law is definitely going to especially affect certain communities who live near the state border and who need to travel into and out of the state regularly. Um, And it's also going to affect certain sectors of society, most particularly such as mixed status families who have U.S. citizens living with undocumented individuals who need to transport them around um, or agricultural workers who travel together into and out of the state. Um, as well as construction workers who are traveling um, into the state. So certain um, areas of the economy are much likely to be um, more affected than others. Yeah, I know that uh, for a long time, you know, Florida has tried to be a very business friendly state. But when it comes to um, you know, enacting some of these policies, it, it's definitely kind of working against that effort, particularly with respect to construction industries, hospitality industries agriculture, you know, there are going to be, there have been, seem to have been some perhaps unintended negative effects. Perhaps intended, I don't know, but I don't, I don't think so, but I don't know. So just a thought, Christy, like how does this affect public transportation? So this law could potentially affect drivers of public transportation if they knew or reasonably should have known that one of their passengers um, has a certain immigration status. But it's it's good to realize that drivers actually aren't allowed to ask about a passenger's immigration status, and then passengers aren't required to disclose information about their status if they're asked. So likely users of public transportation will not be affected by um, this bill. Well, how about with respect to the hospital provision? Does this does a bill require people to tell the staff about their immigration status and? Can doing that, you know, prompt enforcement against them? Well, we've definitely been hearing that a lot of people are concerned about this specific provision. A lot of people are um, afraid of visiting hospitals because of this. Um, But we want to make it clear that people really should not be afraid to visit hospitals because this law in no way requires hospitals to change how they care for patients. What the law does is it requires hospital staff to ask about a patient's immigration status and the law doesn't require a patient to tell anyone about the status. So if a patient is asked, they can decline to answer that question. Um, they can answer however they would like. Um, the hospital needs to let the patient know that their answer, whether it's yes, no, whatever the answer may be, will not impact patient care. And it will not result in contact with immigration authorities. Um, and it's good to point out that hospitals are actually obligated by law to provide emergency services to everyone, regardless of their status. So we just want to make it clear that um, hospitals are are safe places to go to to receive care. And this law does not um, affect patient care. Okay. Yeah, it does seem like uh, perhaps the supporters of the bill are just trying to quantify the expense that that relates to caring for those who are undocumented, perhaps. Um, and I would exactly. just say that, yeah. And in quantifying that, though, unfortunately, like they often fail to quantify the economic benefit or the taxes that are paid by even the undocumented here in Florida, which tend to more than offset, you know, the the cost or the hit to the social service delivery network. So, you know, when people are going to worry about the economic cost incurred, they need to remember there are benefits provided by people who are working here and who are living here as well. 
just just a little editorial point there. Okay. Now, listen, um, you know, we mentioned that uh, immigration policy is really the purview of the federal government. And anything that kind of gets a foul of that at the state level um, is, is somewhat ripe for a challenge. And I guess there is now a legal challenge to provisions of 1718. Right. So um, on July 17th, there's been a group of immigration advocates who've sued the state for certain portions of this law. They filed in federal court a challenge uh, to the human smuggling provision. Um, There are nine other unnamed plaintiffs, one of whom is a U.S. citizen who, as part of her job, regularly transports immigrants from Georgia into Jacksonville, Florida, to see medical specialists, um, which is interesting to note that that's one of the plaintiffs. Um, But what they're arguing in this challenge is that certain portions of the law in regards to human smuggling are broad, vague, and incoherent. And actually what they're saying is that this law sweeps up people potentially who are lawfully present in the U.S., They specifically stated that the law will inflict enormous harm on people's ability just to go about their daily lives. So they're seeking to block the state from enforcing the law. They're arguing that it's unconstitutional because it, as we stated earlier, um, the area of law is is federal. And so um, the state law is going to impede the federal immigration scheme because it goes really far beyond federal immigration policies. Um, and they also stated that it's going to um, penalize an array of conduct that Congress has chosen not to prohibit. Um, so that's that's kind of the summary of the lawsuit there. Um, and we'll just kind of look look and see what happens with it in the future. Yeah, good deal. Well, um, Christy, where can people go for more information about this new law here in Florida? There's a nonprofit called the Florida Immigration Coalition, and they've set up a free hotline. So anyone can use this hotline to ask questions and voice their concerns about the law. They are they have a website, but the number of this hotline is 1-888-600-5762. Okay, great, Christy. Well, listen, it's been really uh, helpful to kind of review the church and where we are with respect to immigration, migration. Uh, the crisis at the border, the problems that that are in the news, um, and the church's role in trying to serve people in a lawful manner, a proper manner, keeping with our identity, and then raising just people's awareness for uh, what's happening here in Florida, particularly with the new law that's passed and now being challenged. So I really thank you for all your good work in this area, for the conference, for the bishops, uh, for the Church of Florida. So thanks so much, Christy. 